0: at James chapter 2 this morning, if you have your Bible, I'd like to turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the, the pew in front of you, or you find one fairly easily on an electronic device. Turn to James chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 14. This is the text that we're going to take a look at. The faith is a, an essential element to the Christian life we all would agree faith is foundational without faith hebrews 11:6 tells us it's impossible to please god ephesians chapter 2 reminds us that the christian is saved through faith second corinthians 5:7 says to walk by faith or to live by faith and whatever we do apart from faith in romans 14:23 says it's sin Anything that we do apart from faith is described as sin, according to Romans 14.23. However, it's important for us to to realize in this large, vast subject of faith, this discussion about faith, that there's different kinds of faith, according to what James says. Only one kind of faith is a saving faith. In James 2.14-26, we're going to... See, James discussing this idea of different kinds of faith with an emphasis on a faith that works toward the goal of saving the soul, ultimately. So let's consider these three different kinds of faith. Starting in verse 14, James begins to describe what he refers to as a dead faith. What good is it, my brothers and sisters? He says, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds... Can such a faith save them? And what's the obvious answer to the question? No. And we're going to see that throughout this text. James is going to bring up these rhetorical type questions that we just have no other answer except to answer it the way that he's expecting it to be answered. So in this case, can such a faith save them? No, it can't. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So again, what's the answer? It's of no use, is it? It's worthless. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So this this kind of faith... This dead faith, it's the type of faith that substitutes words for deeds. Consider James' example. People with this kind of faith, they, they know the correct vocabulary, don't they? they? They see the need, they can identify it, they can talk about it, but nothing is done about it. They may even be able to quote the right verses from the Bible, but the walk, their, their life, does not measure up with what they preach and teach. It's simply an intellectual faith. In their mind, they know the doctrine of salvation, but they never really submit themselves to God and trust in Jesus enough to put that faith into ongoing action, into a way of life. They might know the right words, but they don't back up those words. James provides an example of what true faith looks like. He says, if you recognize this need, if you acknowledge that someone has a need, and you do nothing to, to help, what good is it? No one claiming to be a Christian would leave their brother or sister in a dire state of need. And similarly, no Christian can claim to have faith in Christ if they are unwilling to live in obedience to Him. Because that type of faith is worthless. Just like an idle man is worthless, Or without value, the idle faith is as well. The idle person accomplishes nothing. From the moment they decide to get up and work, though, they finally become useful. As long as our faith is by itself, it's useless. We can equate this idea to the church as a whole. Churches that are stagnant and idle tend to be dying congregations. As soon as they start to do something worthwhile for the kingdom, they see new life and they're no longer viewed as worthless. James asks a question here, can such a faith save him? The An expected answer to this question, as we talked about, was it's absolutely not. That kind of faith cannot save him. So any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life and good works is a false declaration of faith. It's a dead faith, a counterfeit faith that lulls the person into a false confidence of eternal life. This is why many who simply say the right things won't be in heaven. Remember what Jesus said? Many who say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we done all these wonderful things in your name? And what's Jesus going to say? Apart from me, I never knew you. What James is trying to get across to the reader is that our salvation is something that we continually work on. Yes, we are saved by the blood of Christ. When we have an obedient faith, in obedience we've submitted to confessing Him, repenting of our sins, being immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are saved by the blood of Christ. But that's not where the Christian life stops. That's where it begins. That's where the, this walk of obedient faith begins. James refers to this idea in James one twenty one. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Who's James writing to? Christians. He's saying, remember, remember this word that was implanted in you. Live in obedience to it. Get rid of all the filth, the the moral filth that you may have known before, or maybe things, things that you're continuing to struggle with. Get rid of it. Put it away. and Begin living the Christian life. Getting rid of all moral filth and evil that used to dictate your lifelong pursuits. And accept the Word of God instead as your guide to life. Working out your faith daily. Striving, battling for this faith in Christ. A submission to His will. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2, verses 12. Again, who's Paul writing to? Christians. And he says, work out your faith. Or work out your salvation here with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So do you have this kind of faith? You do if, you, if your walk does not measure up to your talk. You do if your works do not measure up to your words. We need to be aware of mere intellectual faith. A man named Warren Weiserby once said, No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can come into contact with a 220-volt wire and remain the same. That puts it in a mental picture, doesn't it? This Christian life, this, this walk, this obedient faith that we've agreed to do. We've agreed to live this way if we've submitted to Christ and we've, we've become a Christian. We've committed to living this way. 1 John 5.12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The faith without actions is a dead faith. James continues in verses 18 and 19, he says, But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So the second type of faith James talks about is a demonic faith. And perhaps he he brings this up to shock any complacent readers. James reminds us that even the demons have a faith. Don't they? They believe in God. Ever thought about there's no atheists or agnostics among the demonic world? Demons believe there is a God. And they fear Him and tremble. They even believe in the deity of Christ. Many who call themselves Christians don't believe this. But the demons do. We find this in Mark 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Many people believe that hell is temporary or a place where the souls of the living are sent and they're simply annihilated or destroyed. But the demons believe in the existence of a place of eternal condemnation In Luke eight thirty one says and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. This word was used by the Jews to describe the home of the dead, home of evil spirits, and where they would rest for eternity, where they would be for eternity. They believe Jesus will be the final judge in the end. Matthew 8, 28 and 29 says, Then he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, and two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent, no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? See, the demons understand this. They know there's a God. They know that there's a place of eternal condemnation. They know there's going to be a day of judgment where they're going to stand before the eternal Almighty God and He's going to deliver His wrath. They know that Christ will one day send them to a place of eternal torment. Their judgment has already been determined. What kind of faith do demons have? Seen that the person with the dead faith was convinced by their intellect? Well, the demons believe that they are also affected emotionally. They not only believe, but they, they tremble the very thought of the Son of God. Can this kind of faith save? No, obviously not. Or the demons would be able to be in heaven. People can be enlightened in their mind. They can be even stirred in their heart and still be lost forever. True saving faith involves something much more, something that can be seen and recognized, a changed life. A faith accompanied by doing the will of God. Being a Christian involves trusting Christ and living for Christ. You first receive this life, then you reveal that life to others. Do you have that kind of faith? You do if you simply believe the right things and you feel the right things. You do if your service to God does not go beyond intellectual adherence or having emotional experiences when you're with the church. Thus James has introduced us to two kinds of faith that can never save in and of themselves. A dead faith And a demonic faith. And he closes this section by describing in verses 20-26 through the only kind of faith that can save. And he says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. There's, there, that's the, the sum of what James has been talking about. The actions and the, the, work, the faith and the actions working together. His faith was made complete by what he did, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. And you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Just an interesting side note, and many of you have heard this before, this is the only place in the Bible where faith alone appears. And consequently, what is James talking about? You're not saved by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So this last type of faith James is describing is a, is a dynamic faith. A faith that saves. What kind of faith is this? We know from other passages that such faith is based on the Word of God. Romans 10.17 tells us that faith comes by hearing. Hearing the Word of Christ. The dynamic faith also involves the, the whole person. It's, it involves the intellect. It involves the mind and the emotions. But it also involves the will. The will to live a life that God wants us to live. A will that acts upon the truth. True saving faith then always leads to action. It's, it's not simply an intellectual assent or contemplation. It's not just an emotional response to maybe what we've heard. It's the sum of what we know concerning the truth plus the truth that convicts us and leads us to be obedient. And in doing so, we will want to do the Lord's will. To illustrate this point, James refers to two well-known individuals in the Scripture, Abraham and Rahab. And he really, you probably couldn't find two more polar opposites when it comes to individuals. Abraham, he's the the father of the Jews. Who's Rahab? A Gentile prostitute. Abraham, he's a godly man. Rahab's been a sinful woman. Abraham was the friend of God, the Scripture tells us. Rahab had belonged to the enemies of God. What did they have in common? James wants us to understand they both demonstrate a saving faith. Abraham demonstrated his faith by his works. Was not Abraham considered righteous for what he did, James says, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? What more could he have done to show God that he had great faith in him? Turn to Hebrews. There's an interesting... one. Just turn one book back, just a few pages back. Hebrews chapter 11. There's an interesting interlude in this discussion of the great heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham's mentioned there and some of the great things that he did. But the Hebrew writer comes back to Abraham in in verse 17, and he says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham had such great faith. He knew if God does want me to go through with this, if I, if I do have to literally sacrifice my son to be obedient to the will of God, What did Abraham believe? Because God had already promised him. He believed that he could bring him back from the dead. Not only that he could, that he would. Because God's going to fulfill His promise. We have many great and wonderful promises through Christ. Many promises that God has has given to each one of us who submit to His will. Who are living our lives our faith out through our actions on a daily basis. We want to make sure that we partake of those promises one day. Have have a dynamic faith that understands that. Rahab demonstrated her saving faith by her deeds as well. James says, Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and Sent them off in a different direction. Consequently, Rahab's also mentioned in that Hebrews 11 chapter. She had a dynamic faith. And in Matthew chapter 1, her name is recorded even in the genealogy of our Savior and Lord, one of the few women in that genealogy of Christ. So we learn from this passage that faith without works, is dead. It's interesting that some translations use the word barren instead of the word dead. This word for barren comes from the original word which means to be unemployed or idle, as if there's a barren field that hasn't been worked. What happens to a field when it sits and lays idle? and the farmer doesn't do anything. It's going to get overtaken by all kinds of weeds, and thorn bushes are going to start to grow up. Maybe a bird or two flies in and drops some seeds, and some some trees start to grow in. Before you know it, there's this meadow that's there, and then maybe even before too long, 20, 30 years, there's a, a small forest in this wonderful field that used to be, farmed and tilled and harvested by the farmer. James wants to get across this idea. It's the same thing with your faith. If your faith and your actions are not working together on a daily basis, it's going to become a barren place, a useless place. In other words, it's a useless exercise to have a faith that does not express itself in obedience to Christ. A complete and dynamic faith requires a change in our priorities, a change in our pursuits, a change in our purpose for living. It's important that each professing Christian examine their own heart and life and make sure that, that we possess a true saving faith. That's a dynamic faith. Satan's the great deceiver. And one of his greatest strategies is imitation. If he can convince a a person that their counterfeit imitation faith is a true faith, then he has that person in his power. He's won them over to his side. That's all he has to do. Here's some questions to... Ask ourselves to examine our faith. Questions we should on on a regular basis. Was there a time, or are there times, that we honestly realize that, that we're a sinner and we admit this to ourselves and to God? Was there a time when our heart was stirred to flee from the wrath of God? Have we ever been convicted of our sins? Do we truly understand the gospel that Christ died for my sins, for your sins, and rose again? Do we understand that truth and confess it that we cannot save ourselves? Did I sincerely repent of my sins? Do, do I continue to repent of my sins and turn away from them? Do I hate sin and fear God? Or do I secretly love sin and Want to enjoy it? Have I trusted Christ and Him alone for my salvation by responding to the commands that He has given? Have I confessed my faith in Him and been baptized for the remission of my sins, as He and His apostles commanded? Has there been a change in my life? Do I serve God and make Him my priority, or my works occasional? Do I seek to grow in the knowledge of the Lord? Can others tell that I've been with Jesus? Do I have a desire to share Christ with others? Do my actions show that I'm ashamed of Him? Do I enjoy the fellowship of God's people? Is worship a delight to me? Am I ready for the Lord's return? Or will I be ashamed when He returns for His church? To be sure, not every Christian has the same degree of faith. Those who have had more time to grow should be stronger in their faith. And they should bring others along in this journey. May our prayer be similar to the prayer of the psalmist. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. If that's your desire today. To live in obedience to Him. To have a dynamic faith. We're going to offer that opportunity today for you to follow Him. If you're willing to submit to the will of our Lord and His commands in Scripture. If you believe in Him, you're willing to confess Him and, and repent of your sin. You're willing to be, to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. we can make that possible today. That is your desire. If you want to study more, if you want to, if you say, "I need to know more about what the Bible says, please let us do that with you as well. We'll make time to do so. This is the most important decision that any of us will ever make. <laughs>